sat on the speaker, broke the lectern. It's really started well. <laughs> yeah, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for your prayers, Edith, um, and for leading us in worship, Yari. As we, we come to this text, we've, um, I'm going to move that because I'm going to trip on it. Um, you know, we've come into the message out of prayer. Jesus starts, and we, as we come to the reading, he comes to it out of a place of prayer. Luke is keen to, to remind us of this and the importance of prayer. It's one of, the, it's one of Luke's themes, actually. He, he talks about Jesus at prayer far more than uh, any of the other Gospels. Um, through his Gospel of Luke and also in Acts, we, we hear again and again and again of prayer and the place of prayer. And, and for Jesus, when he prays and when Luke mentions it, it's always because there's something significant uh, is about to happen. There's something of importance. And we have just prayed. And uh, we, uh, let's, not, let's not pray before the message or pray because we think that's just what we do. But what if we prayed and we expected and anticipated something great that God is about to do? So I, my prayer is for all of us that, that God would do something significant um, in all of us this morning as we have come before him. We've chosen to create this space and this time um, to meet with him. And we want to know, Lord, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you, are you seeing life going on around me? And... And so my prayer is that for all of us, that, that God would, would speak to us um, deep um, to our hearts. So what is it? Jesus starts off, and, and as after coming to pray, I wonder if out of his prayer, he then asked the question, or what led him then to ask the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And the response is, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet, seems to be pretty high up there right now. And this is a repetition of what was said um, earlier uh, in verses 7 to 8. And so there's, there's no problem, Luke has no problem in repeating um, or portraying Jesus as a prophet even here. But, but if we talk about Jesus and we understand Jesus only as a prophet, then there's something inadequate about our understanding of who he is because Jesus is so much more than a prophet. I think if we understand Jesus in those terms of as a prophet, as a wise man, as one who spoke uh, for God in that time, we haven't really fully understood who Jesus is. And so it is that Jesus probes further to Peter as he asked all of us this morning, I think, but, but what about you? Like, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because Jesus wants to strip away the rest, and I want to focus in on you. Who, who do you say that I am? I want to hear from you. Who am I to you? Now, this is, a, this is the first question, actually. You know that we're running Alpha right now in different places around the city, um, and it's where we begin, right? We start with that first week of the question of who is Jesus, and the reason being because it's essential. This is a fundamental question to our, our, to our existence. It's essential. Um, it's because the destiny of all humanity revolves around this question of understanding of our relationship to Jesus and who we say he is, and Jesus as he asks us this question, as he asks Peter this question, he wants more from us than just a repetition of what we heard other people say. He says, who do you say that I am? And there's a time for all of us that we need to step out of what the crowd is saying and, and what's just the, the opinion and the words and the verbiage of others and to nail our colors to the flag and say what Peter says 
who nails it in his response when he says, you're the Christ of God. You're the Christ of God. This is such an important moment in their discipleship. Peter and the disciples have witnessed so much of Jesus' miracles and his healing, his, his rule over nature. He's raised the dead, and, and they've heard his teaching. But now, above and beyond all of that, they declare and they acknowledge him as the promised Messiah, the one sent by God, the one who brings the kingdom, is the king. He's David's son. You are the anointed. One. This is not the first time that Jesus has been designated the title of the Christ. The angels said it in two, earlier in the gospel in, in chapter 2. The demons declared him, you are, you are the Christ, the Holy One. And indirectly, Jesus referred to himself in Luke 4.18 as uh, the one who was to come. But this is the first time that the disciples have declared, you are the Christ of God. What an amazing declaration. They get full marks. You've nailed it, Peter. Well done. And so what does, Peter, what does Jesus say? Shh. Don't tell anyone about this. Keep quiet. Like, why? why? Why would he keep quiet now about this truth? Not because, it's, not because it's not true, not because he's got it wrong, but because it is so dangerous. This, uh, Nabil mentioned, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Christ? Well, it's dangerous. And for Jesus at that time and his disciples, the understanding, the expectation was that the, the Christ, the Messiah, was the one that was to come who would liberate the people. This would, bring, this would free them from the Roman yoke. He would smite the Gentiles and bring political independence and greatness to Israel. But Jesus' understanding and Jesus' knowledge was that but the Messiah, the Christ, is one who suffers. And Jesus knew that he had to suffer. He, he couldn't risk that, that political uprising and, and to be pushed along by others in, into an immediate confrontation with Rome because his work was greater. And so Peter's confession, you are the Christ of God, the words were true, but the understanding perhaps was lacking because it lacked the realization that Christ's role included suffering. Tell this to no one, Jesus said. It's, it's not the time. But then he went on, the Son of Man, and he explained to them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. The Son of Man must suffer. You know, when I was younger and I, I grew up singing in a choir and, and, and going to church on Sundays, and, and, I, and so my understanding was like, oh, that was a shame. It didn't work. You know, something went wrong in God's plan that Jesus came and then he died. I just completely missed it. But the, the Messiah must suffer was a, a divine necessity there was no mistake there was no this was no tragedy because he came not to serve not to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many and isn't it isn't it often our desire that we say but Jesus can't we have a cleaner version of this can't we have a, a tidier put you in my pocket don't disrupt or disturb my day-to-day -day kind of life with you because the suffering bit, 
I'd rather avoid? Is there not a way that we can sanitize this and and remove this part from what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in your ways, which is the way of the cross? Is there not another way, Jesus? But if we were to remove that, then, then really what is the good news and the hope for us and many of us who find ourselves in a place of suffering and pain and, and waiting. Because if we were to remove that peace, then, then what hope is there for us? Because it's at the very place of suffering and apparent defeat that God is actually bringing us to a place of victory. And it's through this suffering and it's through his death that actually we overcome. And we experience the fullness of life that Christ invites us into. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He's going to be killed, but he's going to be raised. And then Jesus takes his attention and he broadens his his address to everyone. It says in verse 23, and he said to all, to all that were there listening, If anyone would come after me, let let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then Jesus moves on to these, really we can see that almost these three conditions of discipleship. One of, to to follow Jesus, to come after him is is one of self-denial. Is to, is to accept a life that would reject our self-interest and self-fulfillment as the purpose and the means of what it is to live. To deny ourself is to turn away from all things, that, but how does it serve me and what suits me? And, and to try and live our lives according to the will and the teachings of Jesus. To the extent, actually, that Jesus tells us, you're going to hate your life. Such is your passion and your commitment to me that that by comparison, I want it all. And Jesus goes on to say, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. This is a commitment to follow Jesus to death. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the conditions, no matter how hard this gets, can I say yes to you, Jesus? And And I'm... I'm thrilled. I'm going to be actually with the crisis pregnancy thing on Monday at the, an event. But for the, I really want to encourage you to go and hear what Nabil has to say on Monday evening, tomorrow night. You know, we live, we live in a privileged place that we can. we can. We can talk about our faith. We can confess the name of Jesus. We can, we can hold a Bible publicly. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is a a willingness in parts of the world that we see people willing to suffer martyrdom if need be? What is it for us today to say daily that we will take up our cross and follow you? And, And, you know, I'm struck about often there's that point at which we, you know, it's like we like to pick and choose the crosses that we take, right? But it's not the one we choose, it's the one we're given. And the cross of Jesus the way of Jesus is a way of, of suffering. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. And, and to follow Jesus, it's written in the present imperative. It means it's a continual term, like follow me, keep on following me. Follow me today, follow me now. In this decision, follow me, choose me, follow me. 
Walk with me. I walk with you. Come with me. Turn from from self-interest. Pursuit of happiness. Take up your cross, the cross that you're given, and follow me. Here's the thing. See, the calling. Many We have different callings. God calls upon us. We have, we have our primary calling, which is, Lord, you've called us to make disciples of all people. And how we work that out, uh, he, the Lord calls us. And, and as I look out, and I see how all of you are working that out in different places. And some of us are called to, to be up here and do this kind of stuff. And, and, but, but most of us are called to live this stuff out daily where the Lord sends us. And so the calling, the nature of that is going to vary as we have these conversations. But you know what? We are all called to the same commitment. And Jesus says, there's this beautiful structure you see in this save, you lose and you lose and you save your life. And Jesus said, but it's, let it be for my sake. Like if you do this for my sake, you'll save it. He goes on to say, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, the person and the message of Jesus cannot be separated. See, we can't, we can't, we can't separate, we can't for fear of shame, for fear of rejection, for fear of... Of, of a less positive response or discomfort or, or challenge separate our, the person of Jesus from the message of Jesus. And so Paul understood that when he wrote in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, Paul wrote those words in full appreciation of the consequences of declaring those words. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's the New York Marathon this weekend. Here it is, that running metaphor that my kids roll their eyes at because there are a lot of them. But I, 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 So my kids have been running themselves and been doing these cross-country meets for school um, the last few weeks. And I said to my, one, my son, here's the thing. At some point in the race, it's going to hurt. Right? At some point, it's, it's, you know, like it's going to feel painful. It's going to hurt. And any of you that I'm looking out, and I know some people have done some crazy runs, right? and you just know, and if, whether, whether it's a 10K or a half or a marathon, whatever distance, or even a five, whatever distance you're running, at some point, you're going to go, I don't need this. Right? It's going to hurt. So I said to, I said to Tiago, I said, listen, at some point, it's going to hurt. Know that now and decide you're just going to push through it because it's going to come, right? And that's what the training is for. That's what all this is for. So when that comes, you recognize it, and you just can push on through. So whether that's at 18 kilometers or whether it's 36 or 4 or whatever, whatever it is, you're going to, it's going to hurt. But don't turn back and don't quit when it gets tough. I saw um, Elwood Kipchoge. There's another one. Eloy Kipchoge is a guy who just ran a marathon in one hour and 59 minutes and 40 seconds, right? Just amazing. And he was asked, at the, he was at the New York Marathon, he was interviewed, and he said, um, and he was asked a question, what would you say um, to 
any runners who are running the marathon today, it's their first marathon. He said, it's really easy. It's two things. He said, first of all, make sure you start the race. He said, the second thing is, make sure you finish the distance. That's it. It is going to hurt at some point. At some point in our walk, at some point in our journey, in some point of our pursuit after Jesus, there is going to be a point of decision, and we're going to have to say, Lord, this hurts. But I know that I can get through this with you. It's, it's interesting, right, how quickly Jesus moves so swiftly from Peter's confession to, this, uh, to, to explain then what it means to follow him. You know, Peter's just said in verse 20, well, you're the Christ of God. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, if anyone would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's because Jesus is so keen on understanding for his disciples, look, you can't separate thinking and your understanding about me from your actions. And Jesus has shared his life with the disciples. He's, he's poured into them. He's, he's, he's taught them. He's cared for them. He's loved them. But it wasn't just about Jesus being a good friend. He didn't just want at the end of this three years for them to understand what a good guy he was. He loved me like no one else I've ever known. Because Jesus' purpose was far greater than to be a good man to them, to be a kind man to them. What they needed to understand after spending that time with him, after he poured into them, was the purpose for which he came. He was intent on revealing himself fully, who he was, to them. And this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry from this point as he sets course then for Jerusalem where the cross and terrible suffering awaits him. And Jesus says, so this is what it means to follow me. Now that you know who I am, now that you've declared with your lips who I am to you, this is what it means to follow me. Will you walk with me? Will you go this way with me? You see, there is, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer. And in the same way that there is this divine necessity that the Son of Man must suffer, there is a, a necessity to our response. We have to give an account. We have to respond to who Jesus is. And I think we normally understand this in terms of what, we, what, is, what, is our, what is our response. Well, our response is one of repentance and belief, right? To turn from, from what we've lived and, and to change our direction and, 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 and trust in Jesus to repent. So, you know, I was walking this way, but Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I choose to follow you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you've come from me. I believe that in you I'm forgiven. I believe that, you've, that I'm justified before God through the cross and that today I can live because your spirit lives in me. I believe that and I trust you. But I wonder if we've, if we've missed something. I wonder if there is more than that because Jesus is talking here about, yeah, and, and in believing and in turning to follow me, then it means, to, it means denying yourself and it, and it means taking up your cross and it means following me daily, choosing to follow me and go in my ways daily. Yesterday we had a great meeting, um, a little workshop, uh, Missions Explored, um, and we were looking at, you know, Jesus' mission to the Gospels, uh, to the Gospels, to, to the Gentiles, 
um, the, the mission of the church, the kingdom of God. And as we talked about, what is, it, what is, like, what is the gospel? What have we heard? And, and people were able to share around the room, well, well I, was, I heard it like this. This, is what some, this was the good news. This is what I heard. And we realized, you know, often we, we, we focus in on one piece, but we miss, there is a richness and a depth and a breadth to the gospel message. And I wonder if at times we're omitting the fullness of that good news for Jesus by, by failing to, to, to share more. And to, you know, it's not like, well, here's, here's my, this is what I understand and this is what you're going to get. I, I, like, well, I want to hear, I want to hear where you're at and I want to be able to tell you the good news that Jesus, what that means to you. So, you know, it, it feels, remember right at the beginning when we said this, like, even greater things, and what does that mean? It's not, it's not even more work, it's about more of Jesus. I've got to tell you, as soon as we start saying, Lord, I want more of you, I think it kind of starts to get harder before it gets easier. Just a little, little disclaimer, a warning, because right? he does work in us, and he goes to a depth, you think, oh, really? You found that? But it's not, I don't think, it's not that these are additional requirements. It's not that these are additional things that we have to do. It's, it's not even a, a commitment or a challenge to, to, to a deeper commitment. But, but it's like different aspects of a life of faith and repentance. And one commentator described it, well, it's like a prism. It's like a prism and the light of Christ's life that comes into us is then refracted into all these different different dimensions and aspects of what it means to follow and walk with Jesus. Christ's life is, is the, 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 this prism then refracts Christ's life in us. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. But, but there are lots of colors to that light. As Christ's life, light shines in us and through us, what is it that we are revealing of his life in us? Do people see just our values and our opinions? Or is there more? Do they, do they see what it means to follow Christ in terms of what we do and we don't do? Or is there more? Is there more good news actually than that? Do people... Do people know our belief? Do they also see and know our denial, self-denial, our commitment to, to following Jesus, a willingness to suffer? Are there are times where, where we're going to reveal to them our commitment to follow Jesus no matter what? Or do we give them just a, just a little slice at a time? Because I think this morning as we come here, that Jesus asks each one of us, as he asked Peter, what are you saying about me? What does your life reveal about me? Which piece of our life, of our walk with Jesus is the Holy Spirit stirring up and pointing to us and saying, I, I want to see more of this, or or." or Share me in this way. Experience me in this way. Know me in this way. But more than that, you know, as we consider what it means as Jesus 
you know, as, we, as we consider what it means to, to be good neighbors. I'm going to go back to the other question that Jesus started with. Who do the crowds say that I am? Who, who do our neighbors say that we are? Who do our neighbors say that Jesus is through the life and the witness that we lead? Are we leaving them only prophet? Elijah, John the Baptist, that would be weird, wouldn't it, if they said that? But would they reply as Peter? They say, well, no, you're, you're the Christ of God. He's the Christ of God. Because there is something different. There is something powerful. There is something set apart. There is something totally other. And there is a strength and there is a power and there is something so attractive. And I think it's the Jesus thing in you. What do the crowds, what do the people around us say about Jesus? What are we saying about him? What do we expect them to be able to say? Paul says this in Romans 10. Well, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? <laughs>